Hello and welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall and I'm a folklore researcher. Hello, dear listener. I hope you're well. We just had Easter weekend here in the UK and enjoyed some sun and reconnecting with loved ones. I hope you've been able to do that too, wherever you are. I'm really happy to be back here with you and I've been looking forward to releasing this episode. As you may know, the episodes have now switched to monthly release to allow me more time for research and writing. I have a day job and a family, so it's hard to squeeze it all in. But one day I intend that this will be my actual day job, as I love to immerse myself in this project. Thank you so much, as always, to my dear Curious crew for their ongoing generous support and a special welcome to Karen, who joined us recently. If you're missing your fortnightly dose of otherworldliness with modern fairy sightings, you can join us at Patreon, where I'm still releasing exclusive episodes for supporters every two weeks. These relate to fairy folklore and my own research in this area. You'll also get access to all the monthly bonus shows that relate to each episode. Usually it's unheard material from the conversation that reaches more personal aspects of guests' experiences, so that's three episodes a month. There's also a Discord chat channel and we meet for monthly Zoom catch-ups. I'm afraid I still haven't managed to fix my contact form, but I'm hoping to get it sorted soon. In the meantime, contact me at scarletofthefay at gmail.com and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore remain underscore curious. I really love to hear from you, so do get in touch. The website is scarletofthefay.com. Now, quite frankly, this episode is epic. Our guest is Mike Cleland, researcher of UFOs, owl experiences and synchronicities and how they all tie together. His work is fascinating and I've been a fan for some time. If you're a regular listener, you'll have heard me talk about his research previously. Mike talks us through his journey, coming to terms with his own experiences. He had some strong childhood encounters, one involving UFO sighting and lost time. Later in adulthood, a series of synchronistic events involving owls propelled him on a course of research into the connection between owls, UFOs and synchronicities. The results are pretty mind-blowing and resonate deeply with many of us who are familiar with these sorts of experiences. During our chat, I shared my own synchronistic owl experience with Mike. It was quite a big decision to release that section publicly, but I eventually decided that in honour of Mike's openness with his own experiences, I would share my own. The show notes, as always, are at scarletofthefay.com with Mike's contact details and some links to his books and research. There's a bonus episode on Patreon and the links are on the show notes. This episode is also available as a video interview with Mike on YouTube. It's on my Modern Fairy Sightings podcast channel. Now that I have a little more time between episodes, I'm editing other video interviews as well and getting them up there over the coming weeks. So do subscribe at YouTube and then check back for forthcoming releases. Enjoy. 
Welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast and this time I'm here with Mike Cleland, a really fantastic researcher uh, of UFOs. Mike is the author of The Messengers, a book that many of you may have read. After The Messengers, he wrote Stories of the Messengers and Hidden Experience about his own experiences in revealing these matters. Um, welcome, Mike. Really delighted to have you here. It's my honor. It's my honor. I've been looking forward to this one. Great. This, this interview. I've been been eagerly looking forward to this one, just so I don't have to, like, a, yeah, the, 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 your avenue of research and my avenue of research are on different tracks, but they certainly kind of blend over each other. They really do. And um, I think there's a bunch of us researchers that are finding that more and more, aren't we? Um, that, you know, many of these kind of experiences overlap. I mean, you specifically look at UFOs in relation to owl uh, encounters and um, strange encounters that involve owls. And mm -hmm. perhaps we can talk a little bit later about um, my own kind of experiences with that. But um, yeah, I'd really love to hear how you started on this journey with your own research and how that came to be. Well, it's a long story to tell it fully. I'll make it a little quicker here because, um, but it's, a, it's interesting and I've told this many, many times and it, on the surface, it's a very, very simple story. But like when you unpack it, there's layer upon layer upon layer that I still am baffled by. I, um, in 2006, I was 44 years old and I was living out West in America uh, near uh, Grand Teton National Park, which is right next to Yellowstone. So just a remarkable part of the country with lots of camping and lots of outdoor stuff and in a very small town next to Grand Teton National Park. And I had been up in Alaska all summer. So, I, and it was October at this point. So the fall was coming and the summer was cooling off. And I met a woman in the town and they have a branch there. I was teaching for a school, teaching outdoor work. And, and there was a branch of the school there in my very small town. And I met a woman there and she had been there all, all summer. And I said, wow, you've been in the Tetons all summer. Well, you must've camped a lot. And she looked at me with this and she sort of said, no, I haven't camped at all. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll take you camping. Let's go camping. And then I said, basically that's terrible. You have to go camping. If you live here, it's too beautiful not to go camping. So, so she said, yes. And we went out for one night. Now this was a stranger. This was a, and I've told this to people before. And they're like, this is like a first date, right? And this is like a total stranger. And I'm like, yeah, but the culture there was kind of like, that was pretty normal, like for that kind of thing in that culture to just, yeah. you know, it was sort of a camping outdoor culture. So that was very normal. So we went into the mountains and we went with very light packs for just one night. And we left around lunchtime. And that means we could get in the deep, deep into the mountains. It's pretty far north. So the sun stayed up late and, and, and we, and there came a point when I was making dinner on a big flat rock. Now I had been working in Alaska all summer. So I was completely in my element and I'm on this big flat rock and there's a field of wildflowers around. It's just a spectacular scene and the, and the sun was setting and, <laughs> and I, she says something and she says something really remarkable. And I'm like, wow, 
like this is this is I'm impressed like I didn't expect that it was a complete stranger like it was someone I really didn't know and we started talking the conversation got really deep and at that moment an owl flew over us and then a second owl and then a third owl flew around us and then for the next like two hours as the sun set and the moon came up the the these owls would fly around us and land near us and and land on branches near us and swoop past us. And so we're eating our dinner and, and we cleaned up the dinner and we walked a little ways to find a spot to sleep. And we didn't bring a tent. So we just laid right out under the stars and in this open field. And wow. the owls would, if you lay on your back, the owls are very silent in flight. They have specialized mm. feathers. So they're very silent in flight. So the owl would just swoop past us right over our faces. And it was just like the stars would be blotted out for just one second. And it was really, really magical. So the next morning we were all like, wow, that was super amazing last night. And then we said, Hey, let's, let's, if I go camping again, I'll give you a call. And she said, okay. And, and so four days later we went camping again and the sun was setting and three owls started flying around us, just like they had done four days earlier. Now to have it happen once was pretty powerful, but to have it happen twice was remarkable. And the second time the owls were like, before they would kind of land off on a branch way out there, or they would fly kind of high above us. This time they were like, they landed on a branch right next to us. And they they literally landed at our feet. And I just remember looking at Kristen, looking at Kristen and just the look on her face was just like, and I was, I was the same way. It was just remarkable. Yeah. And, and they flew off and we, we slept that night. So to have it happen once was pretty cool, but to have it happen twice within four days was kind of mind blowing for me. And now what I didn't say at the time, and I wrote a little diary entry and I recorded it in the diary entry and it's in the first few pages of my first book. It also shows up in the second book and a different telling of it, but um, excuse me, the third book. And then it, I, when I saw those owls, real owls, I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. Mm. And it was like, was it my voice? Was it like, was it like, I knew. So I already knew, like I had been reading UFO literature and I knew that there were owls connected with, with UFO sightings and often in the context of what's called a screen memory but but these were little owls they were this big and a screen memory implies that the that the like people will report seeing four foot tall owls and then under hypnosis they'll say they'll say like oh that's not an owl that's a gray alien you know Mm. an alien with the big black eyes and the bald head but these were little owls they were about 11 inches tall they were cute they would land it up near us they'd fly around us they they were doing owl like things Mm. but i've since gone and talked to owl biologists like raptor biologists and okay. explain the story and they give me this look like that doesn't happen that doesn't happen so right that one happened to me twice in four days and yeah uh, and and they can follow you if you're walking so they're curious they're curious animals especially the younger owls are curious and they might follow you and just try to figure out your but this was this had a different power to it so now to make things more complicated so at 2006 i was at a point in my life where I was reading UFO literature mm-hmm. and I had had experiences in my life. Um, growing up as a boy, I had a missing time event that was associated with a bright 
orange light in the sky. Yeah, that was and an incredible was a, one. Yeah, really amazing experience. Yeah, so <clears throat> so that that and then I had another experience where I saw like a close up UFO, close up seeming that it was it seemed it was seen out a window with me and a friend. Yeah. And it seemed whether it was very huge and far away or whether it was small and close up, it's hard to know, but it mm. felt like you could see the structure very clearly. And we yeah. watched it for maybe 30 seconds. It was sort of a, um, like a, I'm going to use this just sort of a coffee can shape. This is, but it was like descending at this weird angle and it was rotating like this, if that makes sense. So it's, yes. so it wasn't a helicopter doing this. Right. And it, but it was like at a totally, and it was so eerily smooth. It's motion was so eerily smooth that it just didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before. Mm. And, and I, um, and we saw it for about 30 seconds and then it disappeared. Yeah. And I used to say the lights turned off and we couldn't see it anymore. And I always knew I was lying. And I'm <laughs> saying it vanished. So, which is very common yeah. in the UFO literature. And I'm a little open. I'm more open to saying that now since I've read so many reports. So, and then I also had an event where I, um, which I'm happy to talk about. This actually would be one to talk about. We can talk about after I finish this. You okay. asked a very simple question. How did I get into owls? And the, the, it's going on and on. No, but, it's, um, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Because it's just, it's the, the story of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had another encounter when I was 30, which would have been, so I was 44. That was been 14 years earlier where I was at living in a house in Maine, in the rural Maine. And I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a bright light shining in the bedroom. And I was in this house alone and I sat up on my elbow and looked out the window and the window was right pushed up against the bed. And I looked outside and there were five spindly beings out the window, like skinny, 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 eerie, skinny beings with big bald heads and big black eyes. And they were backlit by a bright light, bright white light. And they were walking towards the house. They were walking towards me and I was the only one there. And I should have been terrified. And I wasn't, I had, I was totally blank. I was totally vacant of any emotion. And I heard a voice in my head that said, oh yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. It was very calm. And I just put my head on the pillow and went to sleep. I don't know how long I saw them, maybe 20 seconds without any emotion at all. And in the morning, I... I, I never even bothered to go out and see if there were footprints in the snow. It just seemed too unbelievable to take serious. So back to camping with Kristen, at yes. that point in my life, I was reading UFO literature and I knew the implications of these stories. Like you yeah. read these stories and if you're familiar with the UFO literature, there's like the UFO contact experience, whether you call it abduction or whatever term you want to use, an encounter. So I recognize like missing time, these beings walking towards the house. Like I, I, I wasn't going there. Like it was like, okay, I can read these in a book, but it does not involve me. It no way, no way am I going there. I'm going to deny this. I am going to deny <laughs> this. And at the same time, there was like this, you know, like when you, when you, the tea kettles on the stove, just before it whistles, there's like this little sort of, it's just about to start. There's this kind That's of, like everyone in the kitchen knows it, you know? Yeah. And that's what my life felt like. It felt like, mm. oh, this is going to happen whether I want to or not. And then that, that's when the owls happened. Yeah. And so it was in the, in the owl, the message I got from the owls, the voice in my head was, this has something to do with the UFOs. Mm. So, so like I saw owls, real owls, 
heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with UFOs. And then I started into my own self-research. So it was a combination of self-research. And because of the, this powerful owl experience, I just started asking everyone I knew who had like a UFO experience. I said, have you had any, have you had any odd experiences with owls? This was what I started around 2007 or so, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and what happened was people said, you know, no one's ever asked me that question before. I right. have had this really strange experience. And then they started telling me these experiences and I started to write them down. And at first I was kind of sloppy about it, but then I got very formal about it and wrote them down and tried to archive them. And, and then I put it, I started a website. Initially the website was all about synchronicities, Yeah. but I included it, the owl story. I included the owl story with Kristen. And then I, I started asking, I put it right on my blog. I said, I want to hear your owl stories. It's right on my website now. I want to hear all stories. Whenever I talk yeah. on a podcast or stand on a stage and give a lecture at a UFO conference, I say, I want to hear your owl stories. So what happens is if now, if you Google me, if you search me on the internet, I come up, if you search, type in owls, UFOs, mm. you can do it right now. Owls, UFOs. I'm the first thing that comes up. And then I'm like the below on the list. I'm about the next Brilliant. 25 things under that. So yeah. anyone, anywhere in the world who has a UFO and owl experience is going to find me. And what I found is that the, there's a richness and a strangeness and a sort of mythic poetry or a mythic symbolism connected to so many of these accounts. Mm-hmm. I, I expected like, oh, I'll crack this nut, you know, like I'll solve this, like, oh, it's gotta be, and I haven't been able to. And what I found is getting richer and stranger yes. and more elusive and more symbolic, or not more symbolic, but the stories emerging are very symbolic and elusive. Mm-hmm. And so going back to that very first event with Kristen, sitting on the flat rock, she says to me, like something important, something that I recognized was, was potent and was, was impressed me. And I, and I, the very, one of the very first blog posts I did on my blog in 2009, in March of 2009. So that's 13 years ago. When I I wrote that story that I just shared of seeing the owls, the Mm -hmm. three owls over two camping trips. So I'm convinced of the same three owls. I don't know how I know that, but I'm pretty much convinced. So I, I contacted her and I called her up and I said, you know, like, what was, what do you, um, what do you, do you remember that night? What were you talking about? The very first night when we saw the very first set of owls, do you remember what we were talking about? I remember you were saying something and I took note of it. And she said, Oh, I remember exactly what I was saying. I was giving my most heartfelt definition of what God means to me. And that's when the first owls appeared. So that like, I was in a vulnerable state at that point, because I was getting hit with so many owl stories. And there was just this kind of, these kind of experiences kind of, I don't know how to say it. Like, they feel so important. It feels like so urgent. It feels so important. And I, and to hear that, that thing about like mm. with the first owl sighting was in like someone's definition of God simultaneously happened with the owl sightings. Just like, I, I basically went insane for a few years. And so I, and that was, and, and I, and I recognized that insanity or that obsession, let's say that might be a healthier word, that obsession brought with it this frenetic energy. Mm. So I was blogging constantly. I was having all kinds of synchronicities and that, that frenetic energy was like channeled into to writing this stuff down and trying to archive it and trying to write about it and writing about my own experiences. And I was just like, I was kind of like gushing in kind of an uncomfortable way online. 
And what I'm convinced that energy reflected back at me and then it brought, I was getting synchronicities from that heightened energy. Like I was yeah. generating these synchronicities. I was putting a, a crazy amount of energy out into the, into my world, into my sphere, like mm. reaching out. I had the internet, so I was reaching out to the whole world. And then it was coming back at me and it was reflecting back at me. I had so many unbelievable synchronicities in those years that revolved around either owls or UFOs or both. And it, it really rattled me and I've settled down greatly since then. And, and I'm much more at peace now. And so I'm much better, I'm much better at talking about this. And, um, and you can read it in my writings, the old writings that I did at the time. Wow. Wow. You can just sense that I'm shook up. Yeah. I'm much more at peace now. And it's it's so though. you asked the question, how did I get into owls? That's a very <laughs> long answer to a very simple question. So. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I think it's, it's beautiful reading your book. And also I have the audio book too. And it's oh, good, lovely. Good. Yeah, I'm really, really, I really love the audio, but I've actually listened to it a few times because it's, it's um, I like listening to it. The first of the blue book, The Messengers. Yes. Okay. I, there was a fellow who narrated that. His name is Michael Hacker. Yeah, beautiful job. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. It kind of actually sounds a little bit like your voice as well, because you. Well, I did. I did the other two books. You narrated. So, so yeah, I, yeah, the. Um, I think I've got the hidden experience on audio as well. So yeah, you you did those, and and that's lovely to hear your voice and that. But even but his, I think maybe the tone of his voice. I suppose I'm not completely, um, you know, completely familiar with the different types of um different areas of america and the accents of he's america, from the midwest but... we're both from he's i'm from michigan he's from minnesota so we definitely okay. called a twang they yes similar tone and yeah it's yeah. lovely but what i really what i really love about it is your honesty about the flow in which all of that happened and i think that um you know talking about these experiences is is it can be very difficult um and there's definitely something cathartic about doing that and and hearing you know your your journey with that and talking about it online you know it's like you're riding this wave and um you know that it's you know it's almost like the universe is flowing through you and you're you're doing it because you know that you have to there's a there's a sense of of um you know that it's it's what you need to be doing at that time um and it's your purpose at that time and hearing your journey in the you know in 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 your books what is really lovely is that um i think it it's done so compassionately there's so much compassion for yourself and what you were going through and i think it offers a lot of hope and reassurance for people that have had these strange experiences themselves and not necessarily owl and ufo experiences but as we know there are so many different types of extraordinary experiences if you want to call them that and how people process them and hearing about someone else's raw process because it can be very difficult is immensely helpful and we don't hear about that enough. So I think that your your work in that respect has this added, um, you know, beauty to it, and um, and I, I think it's it's really valuable. You know, how do you feel 
that process do you, do you do people write to you and talk talk to you specifically about that that they because I know that people contact me and say say this that it's just very difficult to talk to others about their experience and I know in particular you've talked about this sense of um, going from a state where you you know part part of the process is that you sort of accept at some point that it happened um, sometimes actually part of that process is remembering that it happened because it can be triggered by other extraordinary experiences and it's sort of like the deeper you go then you remember about oh my goodness but what about this and what about this um, so there's that kind of level of acceptance and then there's the the fact that you come to believe that it did happen because you go through you you know you go through this process of questioning yourself um and these you know the, these ideas that you're um that you've made it up in some way because it you know surely it can't be true because that's what we're always told we're told that mm -hmm. as, as children um that we you know you start to question are you delusional in some way and then there's that knowingness so can you talk a little bit about that because i i really resonate with that and i think a lot of people who've had these experiences do so just a minute before so thank you for saying that and it's, that means a lot to me because i was like when i was writing the book i was like like am i crazy is this like uncomfortable like am i gonna like am i gushing that's a, like am i gushing too much because i'm like pouring my heart out heart. in a lot of ways and yeah and i and i and i didn't know how to unwrite it like it's like well, i can't yeah. tell half a story right you can't tell you can't like i think a lot of just so anyway so i i really man i and so one one person <laughs> i was on a on coast to coast which is a very popular show that one of the oh, host yeah. george knapp said you know like wow you, you really told a lot about yourself more than i really wanted to hear at times <laughs> so i was like well, so it made him that. feel uncomfortable but yeah it was made him feel a little uncomfortable so but and so um but he was, he would joked about it. He was sweet, nice about it, but I could tell mm. it was like, he was like, wow, you really went for it. Um, so I said that like, I, like I stand, like I, I've said this many times and I stand by it, like between about 2006 and about 2013, I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane mm. and I'm not exaggerating. And, wow. and it was funny. So the woman, Kristen, um, uh, had a um, was at a conference that I spoke at in the fall, and she was in the audience, and it was really great to see her. And we hadn't seen each other for a long time, and I kind of called her. I'm like, I'm going to call you. I'm going to point at you in the audience, and I'm going to ask you some questions during the talk. And she was like, You are? And I'm like, Oh yeah. It wasn't. This weren't that many people in the room, but so, yeah. like, I said, I told the story that I just told at the beginning, and I looked at her in the audience and said, How am I? How'd I do? Is that is that right? And she said, Oh yeah, that's pretty close. You didn't. Am I? I said, I'm exaggerating. She's like, No. And then I, because she knew me at this time. She knew yeah. me very well during this time where I was like, I think I'm going insane. Like right. I, was, I was so wrapped up with this, this synchronicity. And it wasn't like yeah. UFO experiences that were no. making me crazy. It was the power of the synchronicities that were, yeah. that were, yeah. that were hitting yeah. me. And then my trying to process with it. And I, so I pointed at her in the audience and I said, and I'm very comfortable talking about this now, this is a decade later. I'm very, so I pointed her at the, in the audience and I said, um, I read the, I said the line, you know, I, I felt like I had gone insane and I'd spent mm. years thinking I had gone insane. And, and I pointed her and you knew me in that time. And how am I accurate? And she went, Oh yeah, you're accurate. That was true. She knew me at that time. And, and she actually yeah. said like seeing me and she said this privately afterwards, she said like, it is so nice to see you being calm 
thank you because it feels better it feels a lot better being calm so i had an event in 2013 on the night of march 10th 2013 where i camped outside and i had this powerful set of experiences that to tell properly takes about a half hour oh my god just it connects to other experiences and they all line up on a map and there's just it's like there's owls and coyotes which are both highly charged totem animals in the in the native lore, especially that area in Southern Utah, where I was, where like these three events took place over four years. And they just, they all lined up perfectly on a map. And, and, and after the night of March 10th, 2013, where I laid on the ground and looked at a, what I said in my mind, I said, or I just said, almost said aloud, I woke up, I was sleeping out under the stars all alone. And I saw this big round structure on a hill and it wasn't there when I laid down. And I saw this thing that looks just like a landed flying saucer. And I, and I was like, is that, could that be? And I'm like, I, I, and I was coming back from a UFO conference. So I was already immersed in this. And I was like, yeah. could it be? And I, I even sent, I said like, you know, I feel like I'm very intuitive. If this was a flying saucer, I would know it. And I looked at this thing and I felt nothing at all. I'm like, okay, it's just somebody built a big house up on that hillside and I went over and went back to sleep. And so anyway, that, that event was connected to all these other events and there was no house there. I've been back to that site a few times. Yeah. No house. I've looked at on maps. There's no house up there. And, mm. and I've since gone through hypnotic regression about that. That's an interesting story. I'm happy to talk about, but right. Uh, yeah. Like but to talk so, about regression. so yeah. uh, what <clears throat> happened was after, like, it was like, boom, like all these synchronicities just went thud click. They all clicked together. And it was like, 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 there's no way, there's no way this is, I'm making this up. This is a, this was a real event. It's connected to other real events. There are other witnesses at these other real events. They all connect together. There's like synchronicities after synchronicity that connect up to these things. And, and I was just like, okay, I, it's real. It's real. I know it. I know it. And every doubt just whoosh, vanished and it's never come back. Those doubts have never re-entered my mind. And I'm just like, it's real. And, and what happened was there's like a tape loop in my mind for years saying, this can't happen. This can't happen. This can't happen. Can't be happening. Not true. Can't exist. It's not happening. Doesn't happen. It's not happening to you. And then after that event, that, that was silent. Yeah. It's like and you my life was so easy after that. Just this, I mean, this is it. It sounds like you step into that bubble. You step into that bubble of perception. It's like with healing, there's a, there's a part where you're being pulled back because even if you move, if, if you clear something in your life and you move forward, there's a part of ourselves that always goes up oh, but th- there was that. And that's what, that's what it used to be like. Um, and we're, you know, we've got so many, we've got so much baggage as human beings in this society that in this sort of Western society that we grow up in, there's so much baggage and it's, it's heavy and it can pull you back. And so there's all of these doubts and all of these, you know, doubts in our minds look, uh, you know, but it can't be, but it can't be pulling you back but at some point if you make a it it comes from somewhere in deep spirit I I feel I don't know it seems like it comes from somewhere in very deep spirit that we step into it and we finally say yes (laughs) and and once you do for me yeah yeah. and for me it felt like the phenomena itself Mm. was just hit me so hard with so many interconnecting events all pointing to this one event that it was just like, I couldn't deny it. Yeah. It was just like, it was, I just, it was, it did not happen by accident. 
like this was all somehow orchestrated. I know how that sounds, but it was felt like it was all somehow orchestrated and I was, and it happened. And then, and after, and just saying that and that sense of now I know, like mm. I was doubting, I would like all those doubts ended and I know. And, and people who knew me like were basically like breathing a sigh of relief. You know, they were like, finally, you know? Mm. And, and so after that, in a few years after that, I went to a conference and talked to someone and, and this is, I, then I got really serious about the, 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 the um, writing the books and stuff like that. You know, what's funny. So if I look at it, I didn't realize this until years after I finished the first book, the, that event, what I call my confirmation event happened on the night of March 10th, 2013. And technically it probably happened after midnight. So it was probably March 11th. And I had to drive home to my house, which took the full day. And then I spent the full day like researching like maps and looking at the site and there's no round building there. And, and, and I had a psychic event that it's to tell the stories. I, I apologize if I'm jumping around here, cause it won't make any sense, but a lot happened. And then on March 12th, maybe less than 48 hours after the night sleeping under the stars, I started writing that first owl book, the blue book that you okay. held up at the beginning of the talk. Yeah. I started writing that book within 48 hours of that powerful event. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until years later. And I, and I recognized like, wow, the implication of that. So it feels yeah. like, like, I mean, I don't want to say I'm a puppet on someone else's controlling my strings, but I'm, it feels like I'm, I was, I was, motivated by an outside source to do that mm -hmm. it might have been some higher part of myself mm -hmm. but uh, it's impossible for me to pull you know to to truly know but it feels like the that that first book was generated by an outside source not just myself yes yeah i th i think that um that is one way that you can maybe make peace with it as well if people are have had their own experiences and they're working through mm -hmm. them that maybe you can even if you're not quite there yet with it if even if you're maybe not at peace with it perhaps you could could sort of try that on and see how that feels to you to just accept okay what if it is all true if you're really struggling even mm -hmm. with the idea that that it's true and yet you're still having these experiences or they're, um, you know, you're, you're thinking about them to such a degree that it, it's asking you to look at it. Um, if you accept that, okay, the world around you might not be supporting the idea that it is true. And yet every cell of your being or every, you know, part of you that you're, you know, the deep part of you is telling you that it is true, then maybe just a step into that and, and try that and I think I think as you say if you if you do that if it's it's a bit like you know I might compare it to the idea of sort of stepping into the abyss you know we reach we reach these points in our lives where we sort of have to to listen to our own selves um, despite what might be being presented in the external world um, and everything we're told about how the external world works and step into that abyss and therefore just trust that process. But what you tend to find 
just speaking from my own experience and other people I've spoken to is that when you do that thing the path as you say like with with the book and everything that happened you know after that time with you with people getting in touch and the blog and everything it sort of forms a path and you simply just need to to walk to trust it and walk it yeah and you have to let go you have to let go. And I mean, I was clinging to that old life. I knew the old life was crumbling. And, and, and what happens is, I mean, I guess we go through it many times throughout our lives. We have a death yeah. and rebirth experience. All kinds of things can be that. I mean, graduating from high school or moving away from the house they grew up in is a form of death mm -hmm. and rebirth in a lot of ways, but, but wow, this experience of like, like saying, yes, this is real was, I had to, I had to, like the universe had to hit me with its, with its whacking stick. You know, the Zen Buddhists, when, the, when you're not meditating, right, they have a special stick they hit, right. the, 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 they hit the students with, the monks, if they're not sitting upright. So I felt like I was being endlessly beaten by the Zen whacking stick until I finally just submitted and just, that's a horrible way to put it. <laughs> I mean, I finally abandoned myself and said, yes, this is really happening. Mm. And, and, um, and that, and my life got much, much calmer. And what happened was I still was getting just as many synchronicities, but they didn't have the frantic, urgent energy that they had yeah. before. I was getting gentler synchronicities, more playful synchronicities rather than yeah. the kind of urgent, uh, unsettling synchronicities that were, 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 were keeping me off balance before. And now it felt like the synchronicities were gentle enough to, to keep me on the right path. Yeah, it sounds like um, comparable to, to other spiritual awakenings as well. You know, for people um, going through any kind of spiritual awakening, it often is like that. It's a bit like sort of being born into a new world and it, it all seems quite, you know, it takes a bit of getting used to, doesn't it? Um, mm. But then, you know, eventually you sort of find your groove with it. And um... so with the synchronicities, I know there's no real definitive answer to this, but what's your view on what synchronicities are? Because lots of people experience these, whether it's looking at time, the time and noticing, you know, that it tends to be a particular time. For me, it's always 2112 because I love oh, that really? album. It's a palindrome, yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. Really? Well, yeah. Okay. Because of it's that. It's a palindrome, yeah. It's a palindrome, but also the. Um, the Rush album, which I love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, for some people it's that. For some people, well, it can be a myriad of things. But what, what, what's your view on those after all your experiences? So the title of the first book is Owl Synchronicity and the UFO Abductee. And basically I'm the UFO abductee, even though I talk to a lot of other people. So it's kind of my first person story in that first book also. But I, um, so there's UFO sightings right? Powerful owl experiences, often very symbolic mm. and synchronicities. I give them the same weight, right? So synchronicity, some people are very dismissive of it, right? Oh yeah. yeah. You know, you're like, you thought of someone and they called you on the phone at the same time. Like, so what happens all the time? I'm like, no, no, that's a magical event. So I weight those equally. Someone mm -hmm. has a powerful synchronicity. Someone has a UFO sighting. I don't give one more credence than the other. I try to weight them equally powerful owl experience. So these three things are, are all part of the same, like I don't underplay any of them because I'm convinced they're all three of them in some form are a magical event. Yes, you can see an owl 
and and it's just an owl, right? But I'm mm. some of the stories are weighted so heavily with other things that that are just rich with symbolic power. Um, and then the definition that Carl Jung gave, I should be able to do this off the top of my head. He basically said it's a, a, a the very loose definition would be that a synchronicity is a coincidence that is meaningful to the observer. Mm. And I've had, there's researchers out there who speculate on what it may or may not be, like the source of it. But I'm like, how do I know, right? So I'm content saying it's magic and not worrying about the source. I say okay. magic, it is magic. It bugs, I'm certain it bugs academic people, <laughs> serious thinkers. But I'm, I'm gonna say it's magic. A synchronicity is magic. And that loosens it up because then I can just list the story, right? So you can, you can analyze it, overanalyze it and try to speculate where the source is. But if you tell a powerful synchronistic story of a powerful synchronicity, that has all the power it needs, right? You don't have to try to explain it. You're just, all you can just, you can just go, wow, and be in awe of the story mm. and then move on. And then just say like, okay, some things at play in the universe. Uh, there's a fellow, this is one of my favorite chapters in the first book, the blue book. I interviewed a fellow named uh, Kirby Surprise, Dr. Kirby Surprise, which is a great name. It's fabulous. And he is a, he is a, yeah, wow. <laughs> and so he's a synchronistic, he's a, he's a, I, I'm not sure of his title. He's a clinician. I'm not sure if he's a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But he, um, he works with patients and he also wrote a book on synchronicity. And he says, well, this is here. So this is how I met him. This is so funny. So I, um, I heard him interviewed on a podcast. He's a great storyteller. He told some great stories about synchronicity. And then I contacted him and said, like, I would like to talk to you about my own synchronistic experiences. I'm finding that people who have UFO contact are have more synchronicities than the average person. Yes. That's because I was talking to these people with UFO contact yeah. and he got right back to me. He said, well, from my own personal experiences with UFOs, that's not the case. And I'm like, wait a minute, your own personal experiences with UFOs and you write a book about synchronicity. You're like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you're, <laughs> you're proving my point by your, and he said, yeah. get, get my book and read my book and then call me back. And I, so I got his book. I read his book. And so on some page, I wrote it down and it's like on page 216, he says, you can generate your own synchronicities. You can simply ask the universe, I want a synchronicity. And then you can generate your own synchronicity. And then he said, I like to generate owls. <gasps> I almost dropped the book out of my thing. Damn. It was like, <laughs> he said like, well, no, you're like, it's, it's all like you had to get UFO experiences. You have owl experiences and you write a book on synchronicity and you study yeah. synchronicity. It's all so I got to him and I'm so glad there's like, so glad I recorded this conversation because he was a joy to talk with. He was, it was like, it was like Luke Skywalker at the, you know, at the feet of, of, uh, <laughs> of Yoda, you know, he's just so wonderful. And, but he said, um, he said, like I said, I'm having all these synchronicities about UFOs and owls. And he said, you are researching two very powerful subjects, UFOs and owls, both of them are highly charged. There's a long lineage of, of mythology around the owl. There's a long, you know, yeah. recent history of the UFO. These are highly charged. And you, if you, I, it is, it should be expected. If you're pouring your energy into these subjects, the universe will reflect it right back at you. That's and he said something that I've used so often now. He says, says, he said, we are all just parakeets in a cage pecking at the mirror not realizing it is our own reflection. 
And I was like, oh, that was me. That was, so it was me in that moment. When I was talking with him, it was like right in the height of that, like, oh, I'm going crazy kind of vibe. And, and it was, so I, I, I was like, oh, that makes, that's a beautiful way to say it. Like we are somehow putting this energy out and it's us. We're putting the energy out and it is being reflected back at us. Mm -hmm. I obsessively was researching UFOs and owls. I was getting UFO and owl type synchronicities. So I was pecking at the mirror, not realizing it was my own reflection. And, and so that was, so that was a, that quote alone. And that he was a joy to talk with. And it was very helpful for me to have that. Um, So your question as far as synchronicity, here, let me just tell a good synchronicity story. I've got so many of them. It's funny where like, where a magical act, you know, what's a synchronicity and what's something magic. This is, this doesn't fall quite under synchronicity. This is, but I'll tell a story. This is a, Mm -hmm. so fellow gets a hold of me and he was living on an Indian reservation in Michigan. And I grew up in Michigan and I looked this up. I didn't even know it was there. It was not, I mean, so I looked it up on a map and it's this little teeny small area in this, some uh, reservations are huge. This looked like just like a neighborhood. Okay. Yeah. So it was, and it was a neighborhood. It was all native Americans. And so he was, and it was right near a little, uh, like a park. It wasn't really a forest, more like a park. And, and, and he was flying a kite as a 12 year old boy. So he was a native American, it was Huron tribe. And he was flying a kite and he really loved this kite. And somehow it like got pulled out of his hand by the wing, wind, a big gust of wind, like the kite flies off and the ball of string goes off of the kite and it goes into the forest. And so he takes his friend and said, I want to find that kite. Let's go in there. So they went and walked around the forest and walked around the forest and they saw the kite up in a tree and they walked to the base of the tree. And at the base of the tree, all wrapped up in the string was an owl. Oh my goodness. So they got an adult yeah. and they cut the owl out of the string and they actually had to nurse the owl back to health. Aww. I think they took it to a raptor center and they released the owl. Yeah. So your little boy saves an owl, like captures an owl mm. in a string, saves it. And then I heard this story and I asked, are you a shaman? He's an adult now. And I said, are you a shaman? And he said, Ooh, in a word, Yes. And he basically told some shaman stories that were very challenging, like very personally challenging for him. Yeah. So the reason I asked, are you a shaman is because I had heard so many similar stories for people going through a shamanic initiation and having experiences with owls. Yeah. 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 This is something that I found fascinating in your book that you, you say that there are a few different sort of um, a few sort of flags for you when you're talking to somebody about their experience, could you talk a little bit about that? And one of them is that, you know, that maybe they're a healer or a shaman of some sort, because these sorts of our experiences seem to tie into that in some way. Well, the, the, especially in the second book I started, and I didn't notice this when I went through this, but so, and I've started doing it since then. The second book had a lot of healing associated Mm. with it. People were healers. One guy's a male nurse, several people without knowing it, I started researching it and they were shamans. Mm-hmm. And it was just this exact same thing. It was like, well, like, wait a minute, you're a shaman. And well, yes, I am. Kind of thing. So like, why didn't you tell me? So the, um, and so when I do this stuff, I talk to people on the phone all the time, get on yeah. the phone, you talk to them on the phone and, and, and I have a clipboard, like I just work with this clipboard. I have a clipboard mm-hmm. right next to me on the desk. And I, and when I talk to them, I just write down the time, the date, their phone number, just a few key things, a couple of key points. I don't take 
a lot of notes. It's usually just one piece of paper. So if I ever contact them again, I can just look back at the paper. And, oh, you're the one that had the owl experience with this. So the people who are reaching out and contacting me have had owl and UFO experiences. Sometimes it's not like that. There's no UFO in the story with shaman, the, with the boy and the kite. There's no UFO, right? Mm. But it's everything about the UFO accounts. It has yeah. the same mood. It has the same flavor. So so I'm, 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 I'm no longer clinging to the UFO thing. I'm much more content just talking about the mystical experiences around owls. Yeah. So I just, but so the people who contact me for the most part are having UFO and owl experiences. And then I write on the corner of the page, I write Reiki, the pen. Yeah. I just write Reiki on the corner of the pen page. And I just wait. You talk to someone on the phone. And it's just a couple hours. You end up talking to someone. So I just wait. And then I say like, what do you do for work? They go, I'm a Reiki therapist. It's not hundred percent. I would say that it is, I'm, I don't know. It might be higher, but I'm going to say it is 50% of the people who have yeah. UFO and owl experiences are doing Reiki healing, or they're doing something very similar to Reiki. Mm-hmm. That to me is astounding. <laughs> like what's the, I mean, the, the cross-section of the population, right? Big mm. set of, you know, like there's like, like like reiki therapy is like it's got to be like 0.1 percent <laughs> people doing reiki therapy but it's 50 percent of the people who are seeing owls and ufos wow yeah like i i just like i say that in every interview just because i want someone to come up to me and say like i figured this out i cracked this nut this is the reason but i don't know what it is so that is reiki is a healing so here so the questions i ask is when people have a powerful owl or ufo or powerful synchronicity i'll ask what was going on in your life leading up to the event and mm. what was going on in your life afterwards? Yeah, me too. So this one woman contacted me and she had an owl. She saw an owl in her driveway. She was talking on the phone with her father. She pulled into the driveway and, and this, there was an owl in the driveway. She thought it was a little kid at first, this big owl. And then the owl flew up into a tree and then she got her kids out and they're like, look, you know, this owl and the owl flew and t- touched her hair. Like, and her son was like, wow, did it look like, like, wow. And and I just got this a couple of days ago, this story. And, and so I asked what was going on in your life leading up to the event. And she said, well, I was talking to my father. I was planning to donate my kidney. And I said, what happened after the owl event? She said, I donated my kidney. I went, when I went to, I had an operation. I gave my kidney to a neighbor, to a friend of, that I know. Mm, yeah. And there's so many powerful Goodness things connected me. to this. I, yeah. So basically I didn't have to ask her. Yeah. Like, she- are you doing healing work? Mm. like wow it doesn't get much more i mean there's nothing more selfless and more yes i want to say christ-like but wow like to give up your kidney is as a form of i mean that's a powerful selfless form of healing Mm, absolutely so so that's what i'm getting these are the stories i'm getting yeah i'm wondering if um with energy healers and shamans um if they are opening themselves up energetically and getting that you know the connection from the all as it were whether um you know it's just uh they're more open to having these experiences whether they're you know fairy experiences or owl experiences um or you know ufos or or a blend of all of those um and also i tend to find with my research that people doesn't happen all the time but quite a lot that people that have experiences tend to have them quite a lot through their lives. So it's not Mm -hmm. just one experience. And of course, 
with yourself that was something that happened as well because you'd had an experience as a child as well but it seems to be like that um could you tell us a little bit about your experience as a child as well please because that would be lovely to hear um you know the the one that happened your your loss of time oh the orange the flesh yeah so i was living in a little town in outside of detroit in the suburbs so been 1974 there's an interesting point here this i was i was the high school uh in this neighborhood in america um, Friday nights, you would go to the high school football game, the okay. nighttime football game. It's autumn. It's the weather's nice. And, and so that was just what the kids all did in the neighborhood. We just went to the high school football game. I wasn't in high school yet. I was still at what we call middle school. And so the high school football game, American football, uh, we had to, I had to leave early because I wanted to be home in time to see a television show. And I told my parents I would be home at 930 because I wanted to see a television show. The television show was called Cole Shack, the Night Stalker. And I don't know if you can watch this on YouTube now, but it is all about, oh, it's a wonderful show. It was a, so, but it was, it was, I was 12, I was 12 years old. It was a perfect show for a 12 year old boy. And uh, so I'm walking home and I were, we get to this point in the neighborhood. And I know right where it is. I could put an X on the sidewalk right where it is. And, and we're walking along and, and it's a lovely calm night. And then there's like the sky just goes click and lights up bright orange. Click goes back to normal like bright orange, like the whole sky, electric orange. You know that color orange when you have a campfire and the coals burn down, it's that self-illuminating. Yeah, I can imagine. Orange, like like, click, everything, glowing orange, click back to the nighttime sky. And we both were like, what just happened? What just happened? And we, even as 12 year old boys were like, it wasn't lightning, it wasn't a plane crash. It was totally silent. It wasn't like we thought like one of the telephone poles, like it's like shorted out and like zapped, made it, but it was no noise. And when I got home, he walked further on into the neighborhood. So I got home and my parents were like waiting for me. I walk in the door and they're like, why are you out so late? I'm like, I'm not out late. It's 930. I knew exactly when I left the football field is only like, you could hear, it's like half a mile away. Mm-hmm. And so, so like, I'm not late. I'm, I'm it's 930. And they pointed at the clock and it was 1130. Amazing. And like, yeah. And I, my first thought was like, I missed that cool show. Okay. Yeah. Cool not show. like what the hell happened. I've <laughs> so I didn't show. even, there was it's no, great. there was nothing in the diet. There was nothing in the, um, uh, like in the literature, like I was 12, I hadn't read anything, but there was nothing. The term missing time hadn't been coined yet in 1974. Right. So I was just like, what happened? And so that my parents were mad at me. I felt <sighs> terrible. And, and so like, I, like, I didn't do anything wrong. What are you mad at me for? And so the next Monday morning at school, I remember this very clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at the cafeteria and there was this circle of my friends. And one of them was my friend I was walking home with. His name was also Mike. And, and I said, you know, something weird happened. I told everyone something weird happened. We saw this weird thing on, on Friday night. And my friend butted in. Yeah, we saw a UFO with lights and everything. And I immediately, I was like, my first thought was he's lying. Because I mm. didn't see it. I said, mm. This is how stories get blown out of proportion. I've since contacted him. Yes. And asked him, I've asked him, do you remember that night? Yeah. I said, no, I don't remember that. He night. doesn't remember it. This is it, isn't it? it? And then I said, you know, like, and I told the story a little bit and he said, oh, I do remember your parents were mad at you. I remember yeah. that. I remember I said, your parents were angry at you for being out so late. And now here's a weird thing. The television show, Kolshak, the Night Stalker, years later. So I always, now this is funny. I always had two memories. I had a memory of seeing the orange flash mm-hmm. and I had a memory of coming home late from high school football mm. game. <clears throat> and I never quite put the two together, but they always right. both really, really weighed heavily on me. 
So I was, this probably would have been the mid nineties. I was watching on VHS cassette, which I rented at a gas station in my, the town I was living at. And it was, it was the very first episode of the X-Files. Okay. Yeah. And so at the end Brilliant. of the episode, there's like an interview with Chris Carter, the guy who created the X-Files. So he's in his old director chair. It says Chris Carter on it. So now, you know, an interview with Chris Carter. And he says, you know, the reason I created the X-Files, I created the X-Files because I loved this TV show so much as a kid. And the TV show is Cole Shack, the Night Stalker. And when he said that, I had these two separate memories that just went, Funk. and I was realized that was the same night. Yeah. The missing time and the UFO were the same night. And I, Goodness and I was me. like, oh, oh crap, like I'm, that's a missing time UFO, that's UFO abduction, I knew it. And I remember I walked around the house, like panicked, middle of the night, like I'm alone in this house, like, you know. Mm, that realization. You know, yeah, that that realization of, of like, what I did, then I figured out a way to deny it and just like, so like I'm a thousand percent convinced that mm. that happened on the same night. Yeah, where yeah. I, that before I had somehow separated into two separate nights. Mm. And that had, did you say that was about 2003 that you had that realization? No, the realization would have been the late nineties. Late nineties. So then, so when you had, um, I think it was 2006 when you had the owl experience with Kristen, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you had the first night, which was really wow. And so if you, did you have that voice in your head about um, that this is about UFOs on the first night? Yep. Because because then you made a choice to go back on the second night, and I'm really interested in that because it's well, I didn't like, know there would be owls. True, true. But it's kind of like willingly entering into, re-entering in, into that space, and I just wonder. Yeah, I just wonder if you'd thought about that about being drawn back there and kind of, you know, entering willingly into it again? Well, when I talk about this in the book, um, Kristen and I had a very powerful relationship. And that was mm. one of the wonderful things to see her again, which I said, I just saw her last fall, just a few months ago. And, and so I was, I'm much older than her and it was, and she's, she's started just calling us kindred spirits and, and yeah. her and I together, we lived in this small town. We had so many weird synchronistics stuff. Mm. Like we would, we were almost finishing each other's sentences at times. It was a very curious and both of us knew it. Both of us were totally aware of it. And then I tell you, both of us were sort of scared by it, the intensity mm. of it. And, and um, so, but at partially it was just, I said, Hey, let's do this again. And I was totally yeah. all for it. Yeah. And, and I had no, like it never crossed my mind that there would be owls the second okay. yeah. camping trip yeah. since then. I've since seen uh, three owls again and some are totally different in a different mountain range. So um, mm. I've seen five owls. That's a very powerful story too. I was with a friend, we saw five owls. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. I've seen a lot of owls and people, even people by you know, like I'm outdoors a lot. So I'm in a place where I should see owls, but, but I, I, it's unusual how many I see compared to most folks. Yeah. I, I did have an owl experience that I'll, I'll share with you. Um, yes, please. Yes. yes. So um, it's a funny old one and it had lots of synchronicities. 
so where to start? Um, how, how I found your research was that I was, uh, because of the research I do with uh, fairy encounters, I check in from time to time with, you know, as much as I can in my own way with the Fae to ensure that I am doing you know, uh, that I'm not kind of overstepping the mark, uh, that I'm on the right track, because this research was initiated by me meditating in the garden during the beginning of lockdown. And this is when this overwhelming sense that I needed to start doing this podcast came about. And so I had been, I went out into the the garden, it was nighttime, we have like a little shed, which I meditate in. And I went in there specifically to meditate with the fey beings that uh, were in our garden. Um, you know, just the basically connecting with nature. And um, so I was, I was kind of putting a putting a call out, you know, to to ensure, you know, let me know if this is right what I'm doing, and you know, is this still okay? You know, because you don't want to piss off the fairies in any way. <laughs> Um, and I was there for, at, at that point, um, I started to hear an owl hoot. Now this owl hoot continued to hoot through, throughout the meditation. We live on the edge of uh, a city in Bristol. You know, there are, there's lots of wildlife around. Um, but it was interesting that it was, that this owl was hooting throughout the meditation. And at one point, um, this this I had a I had a, a fairy experience, but one like I've not experienced before. So I was I had my eyes closed and I was meditating, and this tall, glowing uh, being, very beautiful male, long, very pale golden hair, very slim. Um, totally unlike anything I've ever experienced before came rushing into the space that I was meditating in it was like he came from um where, where we live there's kind of some um it, we're kind of on a floodplain and there's there's some you know um sort of woodland up at the top and it, it felt like he came from there and so he came rushing into the space and what I got really strongly was that he was showing me, he was, he was showing me, I wouldn't say he was pointing because he wasn't pointing, but he was telling me, and it wasn't through words either, but he was showing me, I guess, in pictures, this space um, at, the, at the top of the hill near where we live. And I wasn't familiar with it, but I know sort of where it is. And it was locked down and, you know, we couldn't really at that point, we were all being told to stay within a certain proximity of our homes that we could go for walks, but we couldn't go too far and things like that. So um, we decided a few days later to go and check out this space. And we found this pathway that we never even knew was there. Um, and it's somewhere that I go off and walk now occasionally. Um, but I, I, I entered into quite a deep relationship with that space because I found out that there was a planning uh, application on it and that um it was due to the deadline was due so this kind of matched with the urgency of which 
this being arrived. So I did write a letter of objection and I also joined with a kind of litter picking group around that area. And we subsequently found a massive area up there that had been, someone had been dumping um, litter over a long period of time and we managed to clear it all. So it felt like something to do with helping the ecology, um, the nature, and that's kind of still going on actually as a community. So um, that's, I was telling a, a researcher friend of mine and, um, you know, we, we sort of had, a, I think I did an interview with him and then afterwards I said, look, this is something that's happened recently because it's not something I've spoken about publicly. And um, he said, he was really interested in the owl hoot. And he said, have you heard of Mike Clellan's work? You really need to you know, read his work, be, be familiar with his work. And um, I said, oh, right. And he said, uh, you know, this is a this is a good podcast to listen to. So I anyway, I found this podcast and it was you telling the story of your research and how and how your journey happened. And so he he had said to me, my research friend, don't listen to it tonight. Wait, because, uh, you know, it might speak you out a bit. <laughs> so I said, I did that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I said, Okay, but of course I did. I got straight into bed and I and I listened to it as I was going off to sleep. Now, of course, I, I immediately was like, wow, this is so interesting. So this idea, because the thing about that being was that I had said to him, it wasn't like any kind of terrestrial fairy that I had experienced before. The, the, the sense that I usually feel from the fae is that they are very much connected with the earth. But this felt like something different and I said that and I couldn't even say to you well it was anything to do with you know an extraterrestrial energy I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as even saying that but I could say that it was very it felt very different um so then while I'm listening to your story in the podcast I suddenly remember that I had had this owl experience now this was before we came to Bristol we were live I I'm from Jersey. We were living in Jersey. Um, I was coming back from my parents' house. I had lived there for, I had lived in that area for 20 years. And so I'd gone up that road that I saw the owl, you know, 20 years for 20 years and, and driven up and down it so many times and never had an owl experience. Now, at the time, I was working with this woman and we were both really into owls and loads of synchronicities kept happening. All sorts of just crazy synchronicities were happening and we were coming into work and telling each other about these weird synchronicities and we were both into owls and one lunchtime I'd gone out and I'd bought this owl t-shirt it was a, a white t-shirt with um, a black sort of sketch drawing of an owl on it and I brought it back in and we were saying oh that's you know really cool and uh, anyway this one night I'm driving back from my parents house I'm getting up to this place where there's a bit of a thicket and suddenly this white owl comes flying out of the thicket and swoops beautiful open wings it was absolutely amazing and it swooped over my car as I'm driving along so it just swooped over the windshield and up and over and it was amazing of course I, I went in the next day and I said to my friend you're never going to believe what happened but at the time when it happened I was wearing the white owl t-shirt so I'm driving along in the car wearing this T-shirt and that's when the owl, um, you know, the owl flying over happened. Now, back to me, you know, 
lying in bed listening to the podcast remembering about the owl experience I'd had I suddenly realized that I'm lying there in bed wearing that owl t-shirt yes 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 (laughs) because because I've had it so long that it's it's been demoted to a pajama top Mm-hmm. And I can't even say that I'd gone and put it on that night because I'd actually been wearing it the night before, even before I'd spoken to my researcher friend. It's just that I'd folded it up with my pajamas and it was, you know, on my pillow and I'd finished my interview. I chatted to my friend. I'd then gone to bed, not even thinking, you know, like, and so it wasn't even a choice that I had put it on that night. It was simply there. So, you know, I, I was really bowled over by that. And I know it's just a bunch of silly synchronicities, no, 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 as you no, might no, say, no, but not at all. Yeah. So that was my introduction to your work, which was just like a bowling over of synchronicities and meaning, great meaning. So this is something I, 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 I um, so people tell me these stories and say like, oh, they, like they apologize. Like, oh, I don't want to take your time, which was exactly <laughs> what I would do. And they were like, oh, like I'd never really told this to anyone, which is exactly what I would say. And, and then they would tell me these stories and then they would kind of like, you could tell her like, oh, like, and, and then they'll say like, like, is this, have you ever heard this story before? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I've heard yeah. that story before. And, and if I haven't heard it before, I've heard a story with the same flavor or mood, right? So the story you just told, like, I don't have exactly that story, but I have so many that have that flavor, that mood intertwined with it. So, mm-hmm. and then, and what they what they need to hear, what I can provide is I can say, you're not alone. And then they say, well, this is a really unusual experience. And then I, I say, no, no, no. I think this is a normal experience. And then I would also say that this is a normal experience all throughout history. I, there's a rich mm-hmm. lineage of UFO literature and I'll, uh, excuse me, I, I did this thing I do all the time. I say UFO when I mean owls. So there's a rich history of owl folklore and owl um mythology all throughout human history like some of the earliest drawings in the world are of owls yeah. in caves in france so mm. so somebody was aware of owls you've got a little owl right behind you there on, on your yeah. shelf there and and um and so i am arguing in my books and this has been more it seems to just this is the one thing that seems to be consistent it's everything in my research seems to be feeding into the same stream where where people are having present day people are having powerful owl experiences maybe it's with a ufo maybe it's with a uh, a meditation so mm-hmm. so in my research i've got five things i should be able to do this off the top of my head i've got ufos and owls meditation and owls shamanic initiation and owls psychedelic uh like most often mushrooms, psychedelic mm, journeying, right? And 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 in a more in a ritual setting rather than a you know party setting, yeah, but, yeah. And then um, owls and death. Yeah. So those are the, those, and there's more, but those are the ones that kind of that that emerged now. Yeah. So those, I'm convinced, have been happening all throughout human history. UFO might yes. have had a different definition to primitive man, they might've called them the gods or the angels or, or the forest lights or something. And now we call them you flying saucers. And we are, you know, we point there where we just anthropomorphize and say, they're just us, you know, further down the timeline, mm. they have a fancier spaceship than we do. <laughs> they're essentially us 
I can I can wrap my mind around, you know, us flying to another planet and then researching the, the natives there. And that's what they're doing. Just like we fly into Yellowstone National Park on a helicopter and research the bears, they fly into our atmosphere and research us and they're mm. coming from some far off place. Mm. That's a that's that's a clean thing that fits until you factor in the synchronicities, until you factor in all the weirdness, then it falls apart. But you have to look at this outlying data in order to say like that simplistic definition doesn't work because yeah. this other outlying data, like, I mean, when the, when you, when the bear biologists in Yellowstone capture the bear and tag it and weigh it and do medical things on it, they actually, they actually drug the bear and the bears can still see. I've talked to bear biologists, the bears can still see, and they have to put a blindfold on the bear because they don't want to scare the bear. So then they oh. do all these things, they weigh it and stuff. And, yeah. And then, and then, um, then they let the bear go. Now, does the bear go back to his other bear friends and tell <laughs> yeah. the story and then say, Oh, I got taken by this thing. And then, but yeah. then does the bear have synchronicities? Mm. So here's what exactly. happens. So there's a, there's a very yeah. conservative organization called, um, I'm getting way off track. There's a very conservative organization called MUFON mutual UFO network. And they have a checklist when people has a, have a sighting and the checklist is very simple stuff. Like like, you know, what time of day was it? You know, what was the date? You know, how big was the, you know, if you hold your a quarter in your fingers, how big was the UFO mm. at arm's length compared to the quarter? Mm. So they have these, could you draw a picture of it? These very simple things. Yes. And then in that long list, in the very conservative nuts and bolts milieu of this organization, on that list, one of the questions is, how has your spirituality changed? since your sighting and have you had any psychic experiences since mm. that since your sighting so even they Brilliant. even the most conservative organization is aware like yeah people have people have so the, what happens is people have an owl experience a ufo experience and then they tell me their story and they say oh and then i had a this was right at around the time i had a spiritual awakening yeah and then other than that, and then what, and I'll say, what happened afterwards? And like, well, I started having these psychic experiences and I could like, you know, I started having ESP essentially. And that's very common. Very yes. Common. And sometimes it's scary for people. And I don't know if that's true that's in great. the fairy lore too. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, absolutely. I'm, and that's a question that I always ask my guests as well is, um, you know, what was happening in your life at the time? And, and, you know, did it mark a transition? And how was it afterwards? Because, yeah, it, it definitely, um, for a lot of people marks a period of awakening. And, you know, particularly the last couple of years, uh, with everything that's been going on in the world, um, you know, do you find, have your, have the people that have been contacting you, have you noticed that there's been an increase in that? Have you noticed any kind of shift in what they're experiencing? Is there, is there anything that's changed at all or anything that of note over, over the last couple of years? You know, it's tough to know because, because partially there's a few things that, that um, like it ebbs and flows in there's, um, I had a very popular, like I did a, a talk and it was on YouTube and that somehow got into the YouTube algorithm and it was like put to the top of the list. So on the sidebar, you would, right. you would say, you know, owls and UFOs. And there was a picture of me like talking right. from a podium and, and yeah. then that for somehow, I don't know why, but it got pushed up for a couple months. Wow. I was getting, I was getting three or four <laughs> people a day saying, here's my owl and UFO experience. So that was based on yeah. like an algorithm on YouTube that didn't have anything to do with the consciousness of the public. 
Mm-hmm. But so my sense is, um, so my sense is that these experiences are happening and have happened all throughout human history. Yeah. And we don't, we, like, if we turn the clock back 400 years, 500 years, and you were out in the plains of South Dakota, right? And you were living in a village and you had a powerful experience, let's say with a light in the sky and an owl, you could go to the shaman, knock on the teepee and sit with him. And then he would play the mentor, I guess, or he would Mm. play the listening ear. And you would ask for like, I need to better understand this experience that I just have. He could either fill you in on given the folklore and the lineage of the tribe, or he could do a journey, whether that's through drumming or psychedelics or something like that, and ask the gods or ask his guides or whatever term you want to use, and then come back with an answer. And so what's happening now is, is like, I feel like I've been thrust into the position of being that person that people come to when they have this experience. I'm not a shaman, though I recognize at times just by saying, you're not alone. This is a normal experience that other people are having too. I would argue that this experience goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity. Just by saying just that much in listening, Mm -hmm. I've provided a level of solace and a level of comfort and a level of peace to their experience that they wouldn't have had just knowing that they're not alone. So that doesn't make me a shaman, but I, I am providing healing a little bit. I would say. Um, and I've also had a lot of people who've had their own contact experiences, see me talk and hear me talk. And, and I've often say that like, I, I've had, I have not had any negative, uh, I had any negative pushback from Mm -hmm. me talking about my experiences. People may talk about me behind my back. Very few people have ever said anything to my face. Um, sometimes in comments or something like that, which I don't take very seriously under a YouTube video yeah. or something. Yeah. But um, but I but I will say like I've had essentially zero mm-hmm. negative feedback. Yeah. And then and what and so a lot of people have come forward with their stories, and then I've heard it on like just out of the blue, people have said like, and they've thanked me later. They said I came forward with my story because of you coming forward with your story. So that made me feel really like I have a responsibility to be as thoughtful and as honest Mm. and as even keeled as I can be given, given what's been thrust upon me. Like I I've said, I did not choose Mm. the owls, right? The owls chose me. And I would also say that I like that first experience with Kristen, that's, that was really the start of it all. No question at all. That was the start of it all. So I had UFO experiences. I wasn't going there. I was denying those experiences. I wasn't going to deal with them. The owls forced me to deal with them. So I saw real owls. I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with UFOs, a messenger, right? The title of the book, the owl. I looked at the owl. I heard my own voice, a message. It wasn't the owl <laughs> talking, but it was in my mind in the presence yeah. of the owls. Um, and then it changed my life. What was going on before? I was in a state of denial. What was going on after? I started looking into my own experiences. Yeah. So, so, Thank and I, and people say, oh, could you write more books? And I could say, I could write 50 <laughs> books. It would all be the same story over and over and over again. It wouldn't do any good to write more books because it would just be the same story over and over and over again. I mean, so, essentially yeah. your story, the what you shared. Oh, so I will say that you, so you had an owl event, mm-hmm. these synchronicities, mm-hmm. and then you started the podcast about 
your podcast about caves. yeah uh okay. very interesting the owl event happened the owl event happened a long time ago but it, there was a big shift then because we left jersey and came to bristol and a whole new life so and it was very very meaningful so yeah that that happened after that the oh, but um, i'm saying i'm saying the um the owl event meaning where the owls were hooting while you were meditating Yes, I had already, I was already doing the podcast by then. Um, but um, the meditation in the garden when this all kicked off was, um, that's what inspired the med my initial meditation in the garden in early lockdown inspired the podcast. I was already doing the podcast probably for about, I'd maybe been doing it about eight months, but it had probably only aired for about two or three months before I had the um the experience in the shed something like that it's very hard okay. to pin these times down and i have yeah. tried it's really yeah tr i've tried to figure out exactly when that was but um i haven't been able to so far but it certainly did mark you know more more kind of enlightenment if you like but um yeah i think that's really good advice that you give there in um in the way that you know to, to look at your own experiences you know to to explore your own experiences i think that's really good advice for anyone that's listening that has had any kind of extraordinary experience to give yourself the space to look at it um and to look around it and yeah and be be open to doing that i think that's um i think that's really good one one other thing that seems to be coming up right now um is childhood experiences have you noticed that people have been talking about stuff that's happened you know that they're remembering our experiences or ufo experiences that happened in their childhood you always know, people have childhood experiences i haven't noticed anyone like coming forward saying like oh this memory you know burst onto the scene like i never remembered it before but i lots of people have so the age of 12 so i would yeah. say the ages of six show up a lot four to six show up a lot 12 to 14 show up a lot and then, and so those are sort of the, the childhood experiences, which would also be like in the, in the shaman literature, you know, a shaman would go through some event usually as a child mm. and a shaman, like nobody decides to be a shaman. I mean, I'm sure there's instances where someone does, but it feels more like given my understanding of the, of the, how it works in them is that the village chooses the next shaman. And usually it's because the child has had some sort of break where they sometimes it's called shaman sickness. Mm -hmm. And that would, that sounds like a schizophrenic mental illness when, you know, so the way it's described in literature and it's well understood in other parts of the world, we're in the West here where, where we would take our son or daughter in to get them medicated and such and, and want them desperately to be like all the other kids in the school. Yeah. But in other cultures that would be honored and that, child may eventually become the village shaman mm. not because the child chose it but because the, the village itself said you're going to be the next shaman mm. and then the shamanic initiation process is often brutal right so or if it's not brutal it's it's symbolically brutal right so they'll they'll dance all night you know or they'll they'll dance for 48 hours until the initiate passes out from exhaustion Gosh. or they'll put the put the initiate in a cave and then seal the cave up and lock them in the cave for a certain amount of time and then let them out so this is like mm -hmm. a death and rebirth thing there's like uh i mean they would stake kids out or young the initiate the young shaman they would choose them to be the shaman and they would stake them out to the anthill in primitive tribes you know mm -hmm. and like basically 
torture. It's bad. I mean, so, but what it is, is it's a traumatic event, either symbolically traumatic or, or literally traumatic. Mm -hmm. And, um, that would be part of the, 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 the steps that were taken to, to, for someone to become a shaman. I don't think I'm, I mean, obviously the, the events are different all over the world, but that seems consistent is that nobody chooses to be the shaman. Mm -hmm. You know, they are chosen by the, by the, by the village. And so I feel like I was not, I didn't choose to, the, what I say is I didn't choose this path. The owls chose me. Yeah. Was, it was thrust upon me and it was so overwhelming that I couldn't shake it and haven't been able to shake it. So, um, so that's, okay. yeah, that's yeah. the, the, the shamanic thing. So, and I'm just mm. thinking of you doing the fairy research, like how did that come about? I mean, would that feels like it must I, have been a labor of love in some ways? No, I, I feel exactly the same. Um, the fairy experience happened in Jersey and um, and that got me into joining with the group and we were doing a lot of earth magic. We were doing a lot of ritual and it really kind of, um, although I was kind of doing stuff like that anyway, I, on my own, I formed then with a group and we, we had some very, very deep experiences. And we explored the, the dolmens in the areas in, in Jersey much more. But um, <clears throat> it's not something that I, I've never, I was never into fairies or anything like that when I was a kid. I didn't have any interest in, in things like that at all, really, apart from Enid Blyton's Faraway Tree, The Enchanted Wood, which I absolutely loved. Um, you know, but I wasn't into fairies at all. Um, then it was funny enough when after, after, of course, I hadn't actually thought of this because <laughs> the owl experience, um, I was working, I was working at a job that I, it was, it just wasn't a great situation, although I loved the, the girl I was working with. She was brilliant and that we had this share, shared love and interest in the owl synchronicities that were happening. But I then got a really good offer to this for this job um, elsewhere, um, and it was a, it was a great move for me. And um, so I went to do that. But while I was there, I decided I was going to go and study with Professor Ronald Hutton um, at the University of Bristol. And um, I was going to go and study. Um, I wanted to look into dolmens in some way, and um, you know maybe look at their ritual use or just try and find some meaning around dolmens. I managed to win a scholarship to do a master's with him. So that was amazing. Um, and when I got there, he said to me, uh, could you look at fairies? Now, I hadn't talked about fairies to him at all, but he for, to look at dolmens was going to be tricky for, for lots of reasons because um, there wasn't so much literature about you know the meaning of dolmens and I probably would have needed to do another course in order to look at dolmens maybe archaeology in another lifetime I'd do archaeology but anyway he said to me um you know would you be interested in in the fae and and having a look at this and and that's what what got me looking at medieval Irish fairies so I ended up doing my master's in medieval Irish fairies so I hadn't been into fairies and yet I had this fairy experience this fairy encounter in Jersey which was just in you know an overwhelming experience with you know my eyes open and, and and had this very very vivid real experience then I I go to study with with Ronald and um and this was just this was just after the the owl experience so 
you could actually say that this whole period of research did start then actually and of course it from then um, one thing led to another during the folklore society was asked to write the uh, chapter for magical folk which was about fairies Simon Young's book um, of British and Irish fairies and um, and that's how I started doing the modern fairy sightings research because I'd had my own experience and wanted to see you know if people wanted to talk about their own experiences and so so yeah I guess you like you fairies chose me I, I should you know mm-hmm. I, I could say um, and I, I feel very honored to be able to to help people um, you know by by providing a space for them to talk about their experiences because for me you know well we both know how hard it is to talk about these kinds of experiences but it's really important especially it seems right now you know that we that we do talk about these these encounters and the fact that what we are taught about the external world isn't all that there is that there is much more and that um that we kind of it's important that we we learn about that uh so you know i think the work you're doing is so valuable um and yeah thank you for all the work that that you have been doing because you know people read and listen to it and uh and it does give them hope and you know understanding for their own experiences what what do you think that you might do now you were saying that you you uh probably wouldn't write another book so what what well, I'm, plans I'm working on a fiction book right now okay. i'm working on a fiction book right now yeah which is a little bit like there's a joke that uh it's not a joke it's so true i've, I've thought it was funny when i heard it but the, there's a UFO researcher named Jim Mars, he's since passed on, but he worked on a fiction book and he said, oh, wow, you know, the problem, you know, what the problem with writing fiction is fiction has to make sense. <laughs> okay. You know, like you're writing about owls and UFOs right. and just tell the story and let it be open-ended. Yeah. And like fiction, you got to kind of button it all up. And yeah. so it's been like, I started this project a while ago and it's got owls and UFOs and it's kind of a little, uh, it's a paranormal thriller, I guess you would say, but it, um, but it was, it's a different animal completely than writing the the nonfiction stuff. So I'm, a, I'm struggling a little bit, but it's been very rewarding. The few people who've I've shared some sections with have, are excited about it. So that helped me a lot. Um, and then, you know, like, honestly, I could do a book on easily. I could do a book on owls and shamanism. There's plenty there. I could do a book mm-hmm. on owls and death. There's like plenty there. And, and maybe they could be a little smaller. Like the problem is that big book you showed is 400 pages and like, I could probably do some smaller books and owl and shamanism and an owl. But it doesn't, it doesn't feel too long though, by any stretch at all. I mean, it's really lovely to read. It doesn't feel like it's, you know, it feels just right. I, I worked very hard to make it nicely, nice to read. And so it zips along and stuff like that. But at the same time, if you're in a bookstore and you pick that thing up, it's a little intimidating, you know? So I just, I just, it was a lot of work to do with that big book too. Yeah. So I would, I think yeah. I could do, there's a chapter in there called Owls and Shamanism. And I feel like, wow, yeah. I've collected so much more since then. I could, mm. and I haven't done anything besides make some notes and stuff. But uh, so I feel like I've been thrust into the role of author now and, and I'm going to keep on okay. doing that. Great um, stuff. Yeah. Well, and a film but, would be amazing too. I think a film about oh yes, owl and please, shamanism. Please, please. I've talked to somebody. I got someone, I don't want to say too much, but it, this is going back a few years. Someone from Hollywood 
sort of said, oh, I'd like to do this as a book and, or this, your book as a movie. And we talked yeah. for a little bit and then it, he got into other stuff and I'm not worried about it, but it was, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of projects are talked about, but I agree. I think it would make a wonderful book. The, the, the collection of all three, there's enough, wow, there's enough stories in there to make a powerful, you know, you can cherry pick those, those stories. And then witnesses are wonderful. It's a very yeah. credible, very yeah. credible folks having these experiences. So that's so right. Potentially be a powerful thing. That would be fab. I wanted to ask you about hypnosis and regression because lots of people maybe look at these avenues as a, a way of kind of finding out more about their experience. Yeah. So, so, so it's funny because the hip, hypnosis in the field, and just tell me if I go on too long, hypnosis no, no, no. in the field has got two faces, right? So one camp says, you should never, ever use hypnosis because they could lead the witness. The witness could confabulate. It could just pollute the, it could pollute the, the, the pool. You know, people will, will, you know, you're basically putting false information out there and, mm. and you're, it's dangerous. And, and people have very, very, very strong opinions on hypnosis. Other mm. people, the hypnotherapists in particular say like, we're providing healing. People are yeah. coming to us saying like, I'm, I'm, I'm I need healing. Yeah. And these stories emerge and, and I'm sure there's cases where people are, are freaked out by the information that arises out of hypnosis, well, that's true. And, but they're saying that they're providing healing through this mm -hmm. process. And so particularly through the UFO contact experience where, where unremembered events seem to be buried in our subconscious and they can be retrieved through hypnosis. Now I've had a hypnosis experience that's pretty wild. And I think we talked about it privately a while yes. ago and and uh i mean i can go into it if you want it's kind of a long story but yes please yeah okay so so this is where i'm now let me just say this before i start the story i don't fully trust this story okay i don't fully believe it and then but it's a it's an interesting story and i've said this i just said this recently where um actually it was it was um joshua cutchen Okay, yes, wrote yes. a little thing on Facebook and he said like, oh, yeah. someone said like, uh, it's intellectually lazy to, to, to study woo woo subjects like UFOs and fairies and things like that. He said, and he was in, and I said, like, like I, and I, I don't care. I'm not trying to prove anything. Right. I've already had my experience. I've, I have my own personal proof. Like I, mm, I yeah. trust that something is going on out there. I don't know the source of it. I don't know what it means. I don't know you know, like I can guess and speculate, but so, but I trust that I've had real experiences that are yeah. out of the, out of the bounds of what society, society would say is normal. I fully trust that. I fully believe that when I say that, and I say it because of direct experience. Because you know, now, it. the story that emerged through hypnosis plays out like a dream. It plays, I've actually sometimes call it a dream. I'll talk about the hypnosis and halfway through, I'll mm. start calling it a dream. And I was like, wait a minute, it's not a dream. It's retrieved through, but it feels, it has this dream logic to it. So I'm like, I can't say that it truly happened, but I can say that the story is powerful on a metaphoric level, if nothing else. So there's a UFO hypnotherapist named Yvonne Smith, and she's out of California. And I was going to visit California in August. And I called her in the early in the summer and said, I'm going to be in California in August. And I would love to meet up with you and have a hypnosis session. And she emailed me right back and said, Mike, how nice to hear from you. I just started your book today. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, that tick. counts as an owl synchronicity, owl UFO synchronicity. I'm calling the hypnotherapist about my, so, so she yeah. said, so I go there and I do the session. And so, and I only wanted to talk about that one night, which I talked about where I saw the round structure on the hill. There's okay. no fear associated with that night. 
I don't, I'm not stressed out about it. So I was that one night. Mm. So I, we sat and I said, I only want to talk about this one night. And I said, Hey, when I'm under, when I'm under hypnosis, like this vulnerable state where you can access my subconscious, ask me what's up with the UFOs. Just okay. No problem. So we go through this thing where I'm, where she talks, where she asked me the question, like, okay, where are you on this night? And I'm like, okay, I'm lying under the stars. She goes through the induction, which is actually pretty simple. I'm not giving anything away. It was basically, she said, visualize walking down a set of stairs and each step you get deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm, yeah, it's nice. And I had been tried to hip been hypnotized before never had such, I've had different results, but mm -hmm. this was powerful. And I, and she said, where are you? And I'm like, okay, I'm sleeping up by the car and the, the, I can see the hilltop and my car is right here. And I'm, there's a tree right there. And, and, and part of the story is there's a light behind the tree at one point. Like okay, really close right. up, there's a light behind the tree. And I remember yeah. this totally consciously. This is not a, this is not a retrieved memory. I remember this part. And mm -hmm. so I, and I'm not going anywhere. It seems really like, do, 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 like, I guess I'm just lying here. Like I'm lying here and she says, and what happens next? And I describe the light and I just go, it's them, it's them, it's them. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, whoosh, I'm like looking down at this big round structure. I'm like floating in the air, looking down at this big round structure. And it's obviously the big round structure on the hill. And I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm looking down at this thing. I, and, and hypnosis is funny. Cause you talk in these little, she asks the question. Yeah. Everybody whispers, like she whispers the question and you whisper the answer. So it's this. It's really easy to tra okay. transcribe because everyone talks really slow and there's long, long pauses. And mm. So I'm like, I'm floating above this, this big round thing. And I think I'm still in the sleeping bag. I'm still in the sleeping bag, but I'm floating above this. And she goes, Mike, are you out of body? And I go, I, I, I might be, I don't know. I know, but, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoosh, I'm, right. I'm like inside this thing. Yeah. No sense of, there's no sense of going through a door or anything. All of a sudden there's mm -hmm. this hallway. It's this kind of curved hallway that kind of curves around. Like I'm right. inside a round structure, like I'm inside yeah. a curved hallway inside. Of, so, so, and I'm in immediately right away. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not tall. I'm six foot tall. So I'm all of a sudden I'm like, like I'm not tall. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I look to my left and there's this being that's my height and it's got a bald head and big black eyes and a skinny body and i looked to my other side and there's this same kind of being it's like big bald head and there's no fear or anything like that it feels mm. totally like like and then i looked down at myself and i'm like i've got these long long skinny fingers and oh, this this suit on and it is creepy but it wasn't it was totally like it was for me it was like i was just saying and it was like it was kind of like really and i yeah and i'm like yvonne i think i'm a i think i'm a gray alien and she goes she didn't, she didn't skip a beat. She'd heard this. Mm -hmm. And I asked her later, like, is this common? And she said, oh yeah, this is very common. Goodness me. Wow. And I, and I, and I'm like, and, and Brian Froud has driven or driven. Brian Froud has, that's his name, right? The illustrator yeah. that does the fairy illustration. Yes, He's drawn right. things that look just like that, right. these things right and left. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm, and I'm all of a sudden she said, what happens next? No, also, and I, and I did say, that it felt like I, I, like I entered the craft in a mm -hmm. in an astral form, mm -hmm. and it felt like there was a rubber suit that, uh, 
Yeah. Shaped like a gray alien. I went whoosh, right into it. And then yeah. I was walking right down the hall. It was like, it felt like there was no pause. It just went, whoosh, I'm in the suit and then walking down the hall. So like my astral energy, my soul essence or whatever you want to call it is in this mm. rubber suit. And I'm walking down the hall with these other beings. And then she mm. said, and what happens next? And then I'm in this conference room, which doesn't make any sense because this conference room couldn't possibly be on a flying saucer, right? It's like a, it's like a carpeting and beige, ugly walls and folding table and, and fluorescent light. It's really ugly. It looks just like a bad conference room you would have in a cheap motel. And I'm, and then behind the, and I've talked to, so I'll, as an aside, I've talked to another person, I've told this story and he kind of gave me this look like I had the same experience, almost the same experience, but I was in an airplane and it didn't match up. I knew it wasn't an airplane. So I was in this conference room and I knew it wasn't a conference room. So there's these beings behind this table and they're all kind of fuzzed out, but they sure felt like gray beings behind mm. the table, maybe eight mm. of them or so. And I'm standing there almost like on a, like on trial and I'm standing there. And, and I'm like, why am I here? And they go, you volunteered for this. I'm like, what does that mean? I volunteered for this. And they go, you volunteered for this. I'm like, why am I here? And they went, now is the time. What does that mean? Now is the time I'm Like, you volunteered for this. We got stuck in this kind of like, I couldn't get out of it. And all okay. of a sudden, all of a sudden I went, I got so emotional. It's, it's, I, I, I read the audiobook version of this. Mm-hmm. And like, literally you can hear me crying as I'm reading the transcript of this mm. session where it was like, oh my God, it got so emotional. I was kind of like trying to act it out a little bit. It is unbearable to listen to this. <laughs> I'm laughing a little bit now, but it was like, oh God, it was heavy. So I'm I like, can I swear on this podcast? Yes. yes. Okay. So, so, so I'm, I'm like, I'm pointing to these beings and I'm going, you never told me. You never told me it would be this hard. You never told me there would be loneliness here. You never told me there would be pain here. You never told me that it would be this hard being here in this space, in living here. You never told me. And they went, you volunteered for this and now is the time. And I'm sobbing and I'm going, this is so fucked up. Like, like in the, Yvonne's trying to calm me down and she's like, what's happening? What's happening? It's like, this is fucked up. They like, they don't understand. They don't understand pain. They don't understand loneliness. They don't understand what it means to be sad. They never told me what it would be like being here. And I got worked up and worked up and worked up. And it was like, all of a sudden it was like, poof. And I like, totally calmed down. And I went, I think I'm back in the sleeping bag. And we discussed this and it said like, it felt like I had lived a life on Mm -hmm. another realm, whether it's another planet or another dimension. And I had lived in some other incarnation, not myself, like some other light being or a gray alien. I don't know what it was. And I had volunteered to come here and I had incarnated into the person I am now. And then they snatched me up from the, my astral body from the side of the road in Southern Utah. And they put me in a flying saucer and they sat me in a conference room and said, now was the time you volunteered for this. Yeah. And, you, and, yeah. and, and then after that, like I got home, not remembering any of this. It was, so this was 2015, it was 2018, 2013. It was 2018 when I did the session, 2013, when I had the experience. So five years later, right. like I had no memory of any of this being on board the craft kind of thing, mm-hmm. but that, that night was my confirmation event where like it all felt real suddenly. 
Mm-hmm. And, and mm. that's when I started writing the book. Like, so they said, you volunteered for this and now is the time. And then within 48 hours, I started writing. That writing. Book. Now, yeah. Yeah. when I'm there in the, on the couch mm-hmm. and I'm like, like I'm no longer emotional. Mm-hmm. I'm just under hypnosis still talking to Yvonne. And she asks these questions and like, what does it mean? And we kind of, I kind of discussed just what I said. Like, I, I, like I basically said, I, I didn't know what to believe. She says, don't worry about that. Just what, just tell me what comes. And then she just out of the blue says, and Mike, what is your connection to owls? And I go, without skipping a beat, I go, the owls aren't important. The owls are a symbol on the door. The door is important. The owl is the correct symbol for the door, but the owls are not important. We are on this side of the door in this claustrophobic little hallway. Yeah. And on the other side of the door is an infinite vastness. Oh, beautiful. That's, yeah. And and that came out of, I, that came out of who knows where. I actually Mm -hmm. asked her later if I channeled that, could I have channeled that? And she said, well, you might have. There's, how do I know? There was no way to know, which is a good answer. But it, but it, the tone of that, was so different from the rest of the hypnosis. Like it was the voice I had was so different than the rest of the hypnosis. And I'll also say that I never would have said the owls aren't important. Like I had lived by the time 2018, I'd spent a decade like compulsively researching owls. Like owls were the most important thing. That's I got up, eat, breathed, drank, slept owls, owls, owls for a decade. And then she asked me, what's your connection to owls? My first thing I say is the owls aren't important. important. So for me, like after that, that would, that, oh my, so what happened was after that, like, I don't believe it. Like I know my parents. I'm like, I know my family. I know I'm like, I'm from this place. I'm from earth. Like I have, I'm all connected to here. Like I love earth and I'm, I'm, I don't have any sense that this is, but that's the story that emerged. Yeah. So it's a good story, but I don't believe it. And it, it like all of a sudden, like I, I was clinging to the owl thing and I could back off and yeah. just say like, wow, okay. I can be much more at peace with the owl as a symbolic element mm-hmm. that implies given the little poetry that emerged, the owls are symbolic of some greater realm that is right there, just beyond the door. So that was an enormous amount of peace arrived in me because I could loosen up with my research and just be a little much more at peace with the symbolic element of the owl rather than the little literal the need to cling to the literal I could back off from that and I could I could take in the metaphoric mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I mean I, I think you know I know you say you don't don't believe that story and it's beautiful and uh, it's, it's really helpful um you know, there are lots of people who do feel that they're not from here. Um, lots of people feel feel that way. They, they know it. You know, they look around and they, they just feel like this is a very strange place. Humans are just very odd. <laughs> the way that they behave and go about things is just alien, mm-hmm. interestingly. Um, and, uh, you know... It's like this place is, it's beautiful and it's amazing and, and you know, breathing and, and seeing and, you know, connecting with nature and 
there's so many beautiful things on this earthly plane, but there's a lot of suffering and a lot of confusion. And I remember when I was a child, I would have been about eight and, um, and I used to be up really late at night. What a sort of feeling thinking about this one one fear was that i was going to be uh, taken away by aliens actually oh, really yeah this was wow, okay. from the age uh, so i was eight or nine when when I used, this used to keep me up at night the other fear or a sense of uncomfort discomfort i had was that um even though the world was big you know if you're like i'm a small child living on an island you know on a, on a tiny island so you could have thought well the world is a huge place to me i i kept feeling that it um you were still trapped no matter how big it was that it was like saying well you could have a massive bird cage but you can't get out of the cage so you know as a sort of eight or nine year old child th these were the sorts of things that were going through my head i think the the um the the being taken by aliens when I was you know that that fear it was about being taken off and never being able to die actually it was it was eternal life and not being able to die that was the fear um wow. but yeah quite sort of yeah um but on the point of us not all being from here I had an interesting experience uh so I'm a healer um and I I use this system called the body mirror system and we you know we used to go away when, when so I can come. check this off on your little list as far as yes as far exactly as the, yeah, okay got it yeah. exactly so this one time um I think we were this was down in the south of England this particular workshop and they were usually these ones were about five days long so it was great you really got to get into things and get into the healing practice and we would heal each other and you would pair up with random people you would work with people you hadn't worked before I didn't know any of the people there they were all strangers to me now I worked with this guy who was there, same as me, learning. I can't remember if he'd done it before or whether it was his first time. By this point, I'd maybe done maybe two or three um, workshops. But uh, so I, you know, I was doing the healing. And anyway, we paired up and I was giving him this healing. And what I saw when I started to heal him was that he wasn't human at all. He was kind of this, he looked like a beast. It, but it wasn't any kind of beast that we see on earth. The only way I could describe him is if, is, is if he looked like a beast, but he was beautiful. I could see the beauty in him. It was, it was absolutely astounding. And he had so much love. I mean, he was as a person, you know, when you sort of walk past him in the street or you would be in a room with him, he was a really beautiful person. He was lovely. But when I, put my you know when I went into his consciousness to to heal him I could see him as he as he as he really was now I have this dilemma because now as part of the healing I need to tell him look um this is what I saw in your consciousness now usually it's things like well I saw you know um a picture of this there does this mean anything to you I saw you as this age doing something and you looked upset about this does this mean anything to you but what I'm going to have to say to him is I can see you as this non-human being um and but i you know it's his healing it's his consciousness i need to tell him so i was really worried about it but i did i said to him look this is what i saw and he just smiled and he said oh yeah you're you're not the first person to tell me that you know he was aware of this people had people had 
you know, seen this about him before, either when they'd gone to give him healings or I don't know how else he knew about this. But yeah, he 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 knew he knew that he wasn't from here. Um, and uh, that was quite mind blowing for me, actually, you know, that uh, that, yes, it was, you know, possible that there are, I, I, I guess, countless people walking around on this earth that maybe aren't from here. I mean, okay, we, we don't know if this is true. This is something that I saw. I don't know, like you, maybe I made this up. <laughs> but, you know, when you're doing a healing, it's wise to go with with what you're mm-hmm. seeing because yeah. it's important for the person you know it's an important it's an important process for them and so you need to trust it um and by doing that obviously it, it i guess it must have helped him as well because maybe this was something that was really important to him and part of part of his own healing to have that validated and um and um confirmed for him what i saw well, and yeah. whether it's true or not, I mean, the, the story, the metaphor, the symbol of yeah. the beast, you know, you said a beautiful person in the beast. I mean, that's the beauty in the well, beast. That's, that's true. The, that's, you know, so that's, yeah. a, that's a metaphor in itself. So yeah. like, I'm content to, which is something that after that poetic owl thing, like I'm content to take a step back or two and say like, okay, like we're, we're on this side of the, the realm right we're in this physical realm that's claustrophobic and tight and and on the other side is this free and liberating place but we're here now we can't change where we are here now but we can tap into that other realm a little bit so yeah you're you're seeing a metaphor we'll never truly be able to understand it because we are here Mm -hmm. and maybe somewhere outside you can maybe if we meditated on a mountaintop in tibet for years we might get a glimpse of it but I think we're we're stuck here in this incarnation. Um, who knows what happens after death, whether we cycle back around again or whether we get a glimpse of it on that other side. I've talked to a lot of people who've had near-death experiences and they talk about that infinite love and yes. that timeless realm. And and then we get thrust back here with physical pain and and challenges and and we get caught up in everything and whoosh, it almost people that's it common thing with both ufo contact and with with near-death experiencers where they have this powerful experience and then they have to integrate it into their daily life and it just little by little fades into the past but they still it's always with them so yeah yeah, you had a you had a powerful experience or both of you did i guess Mm. that doesn't that doesn't make sense logically but in some way it makes sense symbolically Yeah, yeah, it did. It did make sense at a at a level. I think. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think. I think it that did help. Now, I don't know if you need to nip off, but if you have time, I wanted you. I I wanted to ask you. Thank you. Um, So I have a a a Patreon group, um, my lovely curious crew, and I had asked them because I'm I'm you know I told them I've been talking about your research a couple of them had questions uh, relating to your research so so these are the couple of questions one of the crew says i have a burning question about a recurring owl experience that i'm hoping mike can offer light on been experiencing it since the mid 80s quite regularly um she says i sometimes have very lucid dreams where i change into a white owl 
that flies long distances into the night sky to arrive hovering above people's homes. In owl vision, her owl vision, I watch as the occupants come outside and point up to me in the sky. They're excited to see me. They call to me and I fly down to them to bring healing. During my descent, I change back into human form, wearing a long, white, almost glowing cloak. It's interesting. My entire purpose is to help and heal the people welcoming me in this dream. I am with them, but physically apart from them, meaning I am hovering and not quite in their reality. My feet never touch the ground that they're standing on. She says, I know that this probably sounds more shamanic than anything UFO or ET related, but I feel there's a definite blurring or softening of the edges concerning these matters, rather like the edges of owl feathers soften and blur their form. Well, she said it. She said, yeah, this is a, this sounds like a shamanic journey. It sounds mm. like a shamanic. So the shaman would, there's a, I have a, uh, there's an account of a shaman. Her name is um heather Chukowski, mm. and she lives in sedona with her husband bert jansen who's a crop circle researcher in england he's dutch but they oh. live in sedona and travel to england so anyway but she has yeah. a powerful beautiful story of chasing an owl around uh wiltshire county and finding what it basically they found the location of a crop circle at night because this owl took them there it's a wild story so they're chasing this, this owl around and yeah. they uh and so she, she like this owl's on a fence post and she, they walk up to the fence post, and they both see the owl and the owl flies off. And when the owl flew off, she had this vision of being the owl and being in flight. Mm -hmm. So there's a vision of, there's a shaman who's yeah. had the, had the experience of being an owl in, in the context with crop circles, which is a paranormal thing. I don't have, I don't know if crop circles have any relationship to UFOs, little dots of light. They certainly have a relationship to, but not flying saucers in any meaningful way. So this, or what I, so there's paranormal event that's associated with, with that. And then also just um, what I have a lot of is people riding owls in dreamscapes or in taking mushrooms. They'll dream oh. about riding owls. So they ride yeah. in the back of an owl and they have what amounts to a shamanic journey. And the shamanic journey is a is a term that if she's familiar with, if she said this all sounds very shaman-like, it does where shamans will uh, often have symbolic dreams, you know, either through meditation or through psychedelics or through rhythmic dancing or drumming, mm -hmm. they'll, they can bring about these dreams or these shamanic journeys. And then they, they often present answers very symbolically so she said it right there she's yeah. looking into people's homes and she's healing them mm, what, mm, that's that's yeah. that's on her journey. that's it that's that's yeah. the whole core of it that's the so that's the role of the shaman is to provide mm. healing to the village mm. not healing on a, a shaman might not be able to you know you might not want the shaman to set your broken leg but you could go to the shaman if you had some sort of spiritual crisis absolutely so yeah and like you say, those those cultures um, have a much well, arguably, I know it's a different um, you know way of dealing with it. But their their way of aiding with mental health, as you say, you know, have amazing success rates. Um, you know, so they're you know again, there are different ways to deal with mm -hmm. um, imbalances. You know, emotional imbalances, mental imbalances, spiritual awakenings. They are very valuable and uh, worth looking into. So, yeah, so my you. question for her would be like, are, have you gone into 
to are you following a shamanic path? Are you doing any kind of healing work? You know? Yeah. And I hope she is, because that's the well, you don't like that's the kind of if she's been having that same dream since the 80s. Yeah, that's the message. So now so that's That's like you don't follow the message. You can the message is going to keep coming until you follow it. So true. Thank you. Now the other thing you do, um, they said the other question is related to this uh, from from one of the other crew members is um, you are an artist, you're an illustrator, and they were asking whether you ever use your art for journeying, whether you you know are able to um, or, or decide to have the art in front of you and kind of journey through it or with it. Is that something that you ever do? You know, not really. It's interesting because what I can certainly use the art to do is get to what I call no time, right? So I can, sometimes I'm just stressed out and I'm just like, I just got to sit down and draw for a little bit. Yeah. And I can, and I'm drawing on an iPad now, which I'm finding is just, just as like, I can, I initially was like, Ooh, this is cheating in some way. Like it should be pen and paper, but it's like, no, it works. It's the same. It's the same muscle. It's the same expressiveness I can get out there. So I'm, uh, and I can just go into no time. So I can, which I call like that, that zone. Yeah. You're in the creative flow. I mean, every, you know, anyone who plays the banjo knows it or anyone who is doing something creative knows what that is. Like the sculptor Mm -hmm. knows what it means just to get lost by mushing the clay around. And the illustrator knows just what it means to get lost in time. Just so I can get into no time. But I, the one thing I would say is there's an illustration of the five beings out the window. Oh yes, I've seen that. Yeah, I had to draw that, and I and I kind of could only get it so far. Like I kind of drew it. I didn't want to overwork it because I really didn't remember it. There's a yeah. So when I drew that image, it's an image out the window, and it's in the book, and you could probably find it on. I've got it. Yeah, and and it's a kind of looking out the window, and there's actually a little dinosaur on the window still, which are really yes, that's very sweet. that was real. That was real, and the bush is right there, and so, but I was trying to capture the the there's an illustrator named chris van ellsberg who did children's books and he has this wonderful moody quality where like things in the background and things in the foreground and things in the middle ground yes exactly there it is yeah so there was a little with his little dinosaur and you can so there's the five beings and what happened was they were walking right Mm -hmm. and i tried to draw them walking and it didn't work okay didn't look right they look mm-hmm. like they were like doing a little dance step. They look like mm. can-can girls on a, on a stage in Paris <laughs> or something like that. It didn't work at all. Yeah. So I was like, Oh God, this looks, it was totally just, it didn't work. And it was much easier to match. So that's incorrect, but it matches the mood better to just draw them standing mm-hmm. there. And then I, then I was like, like I drew, I drew them with belt buckles and I was like, I don't remember that. Like, did they have belt buckles? And that's just me as an illustrator, right? You have a little suit, you have a little one piece suit, you put a little buckle belt thing around there, like a, like a jumpsuit, you'd wear your belt. Like if you were a, you know, yeah. and I was like, did they have belts? Like, I don't think they have belts. Why am I just like, and I just like the amount of energy was like, did they have belts? Did they not have belts? And I also knew, so I didn't, I took the belts off. They have like a yeah. line around them. So, and, and I was, how to say this, when I started this, I knew that that illustration would then erase my own real experience. I would remember the illustration and not the real experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. When you revisit something, you you really need to be careful because yeah, it it, it yeah you you can you can kind of end up wondering if you've reinvented an aspect of it or something because you're revisiting it from now and you, yeah yeah. It's, that's so why I it's really good to I just write it down to, to stop. 
Like I got yeah. to a certain point, I just had to stop because I said, yeah. if I do anything else, I'm going to be making it up. The yeah. belt buckle thing is insignificant in a way, but it was like, yeah. like, this like is I tainting. Just stop. This is, mm-hmm. this is as much as I can accurately say. It's a little mm-hmm. bit cartoony and a little sketchy and the, there's no real details in the snow and the, but, but it, but I would say it matches yes. very closely to my memory. Now that memory has faded away and has been replaced by that illustration. Mm, I know. Yeah. 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 I totally, I totally get that feeling as well. I know, I, I know exactly so what that you mean was, by that. And I wasn't channeling. I was like kind of gritting my teeth saying like, I got one chance to get this right. Mm. And, and I feel like I did got it very close. I don't know, 90% or 5%, but I feel like I did. I, I feel like that as a, I can show that picture to someone and said, this is, this represents a real experience that I had. I wonder if it's possible to um, be hypnotized and draw. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, very, that's very common actually for to people mm-hmm. just to have a paper and pencil. There was a woman, she just died recently. Her name is Betty Andreasen. And, and she, uh, the hypnotherapist, Raymond Fowler, he might've been working with hypnotherapists, but he was in the room. The researcher, Raymond Fowler, would hand her a piece of paper and said, you know, she would try to explain things and no one, like the hypnotherapist and the researcher were like, why are we don't like, can you draw it? And she'd draw it. And then she would do these beautiful drawings. If you Google Betty Andreas and Luca, she got married and her husband's name is Luca. And if you Google her name, the, the drawings that she did, she did dozens and dozens and dozens of these powerful, weird drawings, very symbolic drawings with like going into caves and, and, floating in the lotus position, very powerful stuff. She's not, she's a very devout Christian and she's not, um, and she's sort of seeing these events in the, through the lens of her Christian faith. But, you know, the, the images are, are very powerful. Wow. Okay. They're a bit like the ones in um, Graham Hancock's um, books with the kind of psychedelic the sort of psychedelic kind no of... she's not so much psychedelic but more no no not psychedelic no but but um i will check i will check her um... no. oh well thank you very much mike oh this has been, been a joy really you know i did what i did really is I, I had coffee here like i i made this yeah i think i drank most of this as we were talking and and so i got i feel like i if i got i feel like i got super chatty and and <laughs> But it was a delight. Yeah. I'm on I'm on the herbal tea because if I have any coffee, I would just be up all night now cleaning and oh that's right. You're you're we got a, I've got I'm on the other side of the planet, so I've got a few hours before many mm. hours before the sun goes down. So yeah. Thank you very, very much. Uh keep me posted about your your book as well. But uh love I will. to hear hopefully before the end of the year. Not quite every time oh, I pick great. a date to end it at no. Yeah, good for you. And um, let us know if you're ever in the UK as well, or anywhere around this part of the world, doing anything, doing any uh, talks. Um, I guess you're doing a lot of stuff online as well. So do let do let us know about about mm-hmm. that, because there's lots of people that um, that listen to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. Would oh, be and really I just want to compliment the, you on the show. I really love the oh. show, and I listen to pretty much every episode. Oh, and it wow. Has a nice- <laughs> conversational flow to it yeah yeah no i love it yeah i love it because oh, i, I have so a park much. right across the hall and right across the street there's a beautiful park right across the street and i can and there's the seals or sea lions so yes. i can walk and see the sea lions oh so nice they're kind of far away yeah. where they sit they can't really get super close to them but you can hear them and there so i get to see them and 
And uh, and I usually hike with earbuds and it just a, either a book on tape or a podcast. So I always listen to to your show. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, I do the same. I listen to all my favorite podcasts, um, having a, a nice walk. And it's my favorite way. It's my favorite way, really. I guess um, video is one thing, but um, this, go, yeah. this will go out video and audio, probably go out audio first. But uh, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you and uh, come back are on again. Doing, are you doing meditations? You do, do you have many meditations? I know you did one guided meditation on your... I, I have got them on um, on Patreon. I've done, I was just trying to think before how many I've done. I've definitely done three. I might have done four, but I've been so busy because the podcast has been going out every two weeks and mm-hmm. I have a day job. I have a three-year-old, a 19-year-old, oh, um, an older daughter as well who, you know, and they still need you in their way as well. And lots of, lots of, uh, and obviously the family life, my, my husband and everything. So it's really, really hard to kind of um, fit it all in. But I'm, I desperately want to have more time to do path workings. And the thing is, I come up with these ideas all the time and I know what I'm going to do, but I just don't get the time to create mm-hmm. them. So now what I'm doing is I'm going to release, um, because I, I'm, I want to be writing as well and, and looking at, you know, getting getting this research in, in line. Because as you say, you know, you're, you're, when you're collecting, you also need time to be able to, you know, place your research into a working structure and be able to write about it. So I'm actually going to be putting a, um, an episode out every month now, which I feel quite grief stricken about in some ways, because I love that, you know, the, two, the every two weeks being able to share with uh, listeners and having that feedback and you know it feels like we're we're working towards something together but I think the project itself what what the project needs is just more space and time for for the research Um, I'm looking particularly at childhood experiences at the moment although that's not the only thing I'm looking at but it seems to be something that's come up quite a lot um, so that's something that you know I can I can take my time with but also I'm writing a book so I have no idea when that would be finished, but um, on the Patreon, I do have a couple of path workings and I will be creating more. And I, I do put them out to the public uh, just generally where I can as well, because people need it right now. You know, I, I find it useful listening to meditations and um, I find it really soothing and helpful. So, uh, so yeah, I, I will definitely put uh, more out there and thank you for mentioning that that's, yeah, and that's you have lovely. a very nice voice for it too so oh thank you yeah. thank you well maybe uh, maybe i was meant to be doing this in some way who knows, <laughs> who knows there's always yeah. a reason for everything i guess but um yeah and i think you know i've realized just talking to you this evening um this evening here for me um you know, I've shared a lot more than I usually would as well. You I'm, know, I, I'm like that. I'm like that. Yeah, that you happens are. around me. I'm weird like that. You People are. say I this... would never tell this story. So like, you're not the yeah. first person to say that. So yeah, I'm sure that happened the first time I spoke to you as well. But it's like, whoa, okay, yeah, it kind of it's brought up some some things that um, I wouldn't necessarily talk about. So, but I'm inspired by the way that you do that, and I, you know, I really respect that. And um, you know, in in honor of that, maybe I'm opening to that myself you know I think it is important and, and as I say I, that's one of the aspects of your research that I really love um, is that you're so open about it and that it, it comes from the heart and you know people feel that and 
and it, it's it's meaningful and it aids them in their own journey so so yes thank you again for all the work that you do and let's speak again um you know sometime in the future and have a catch-up and uh, Very, yeah, hopefully we'll get to, to meet at some point yes. in person as well i love england yeah it's brilliant there's always well especially yeah. down here in the southwest there's always lots of things going on and i would really um also ask any listeners and uh and, and viewers to um write in with your with your owl experiences mm -hmm. or get in touch with your owl experiences at scarletofthefay.com and um also of course to mike's website which is what's we the can name find of me your at mikeclellan.com mikeclellan.com and then if you don't remember that, you can just Google UFOs, owls, and I'm the first That's thing right. that comes up. Owl man. Yeah, the owl guy. Yeah. The owl guy. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike. And yeah, I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you so much. You for staying to the end. Big thanks to our guest Mike Cleland. He is a brilliant human being and his research and insights have helped many people come to terms with their own experiences. Mike's approach to all of this is that of course we don't know what all of this means. As he describes, when you've had an extraordinary experience that you can't make sense of, it can rock you to the core. But if you follow your instincts and simply let go, a path opens up and you can decide to trust and follow it. There are many of us treading these paths right now. In this time of great transition, know that we are all connected. You're certainly not alone. Perhaps it would be wise to imagine that each of us are meant to be here at this time, working towards something greater. Maybe our growing interest in these matters is a symptom of humanity's advancement towards spiritual enlightenment. I have no answers, but I invite you to remain curious. <laughs>